next African story will be written by Africans. Meet the people using technology, innovation, and entrepreneurship to craft this new narrative. This is Building the Future Podcast with your host, Dalton, coming up today on Building the Future. We didn't have any haha moment. <laughs> we faced a problem that we had to solve. We started with donations of like 20k per person per month. Um, for how long were you donating that? So we did that for about uh, five months. We had to buy a generator, then it was called a uh, better pass in many bars. We fought it every day. We run through like meetings, like you know, brainstorm meetings that even I don't understand we're like doing. <laughs> as much as we knew that it was a um, very early business, we still thought that it was going to be very easy for us to monetize and hit profitability in, uh, you know, I think six months, but it never happens that way in reality. Uh, even to now, we are still not profitable. This series is in partnership with the British Council in Nigeria. The British Council is the UK's international organization for cultural relations and educational opportunities. All opinions expressed by me and the podcast guests are solely ours and does not reflect the opinion or policies of the British Council. For more information about the British Council, go to britishcouncil.org.ng. One of the things we do at Starter is growth consulting. We work with select number of growth stage startups and established companies to grow and retain their customers. We do growth. We're not a digital marketing agency. Instead, we help our clients figure out their customer acquisition and retention by focusing on three major things. We help them build a consistent narrative and community around their core offers. Second, we help them build a scalable, repeatable, and cost-effective growth growth systems and strategies. And lastly, most importantly, we help them build an in-house team that we execute the strategies for them. We've worked with and still working with companies like Flutterwave, Cranium One, DIY Law, Omar Gardens, JEE Client Services, Amara Suit, and many others. We're a small team of startup entrepreneurs, investors, product designers, and growth marketers with experiences of building and scaling our own products and companies. To work with you, we'll have to determine if there's a fit and if we can significantly make a difference to your growth trajectory within a short time. If your business is currently making money, at least $10,000 per month, and you want to scale to the next level, let's have a chat. Go to wedogrowth.co and book a free strategy session with us. That is w-e-d-o-g-r-o-w-t-h dot c-o. Wedogrowth.co and book a free strategy session with us today. My guest today is Fikayo Ogundikbe, CEO and co-founder at Tolet.com.ng. Tolet is an online real estate portal that makes it easy for people to discover, rent, and buy real estate property in Nigeria. Fikayo started the company with three of his university friends in 2013. Since then, they've facilitated over $10 million in transaction value and have over 20,000 property listings on the platform. They've raised over $1.5 million from investors such as Frontier Digital Venture and Spark Accelerator. I reached out to Fikayo to come to this show to talk about how they started and his view on the future of the market he's building into. So Fikayo, welcome to Building the Future. Thank you. Uh, it's a pleasure to meet you actually. Same as well. Because the business you are building is one of those critical business. People need to find a place to live. I don't know whether you have the statistics here 
top of your head, what is the percentage of people that are renting houses in Nigeria? Or uh, what is what is the stat say? Okay, well, typically Nigeria is a very unique environment where because of the fundamental problems around housing, pretty much like mortgages which is non-existent. You see most people, I'll tell you maybe from the federal government, I think they say something around 80%, but I think it's about 95% of people that do rent houses than the, you know, people that actually do buy houses. So I think that's a problem. 95%. By the trends that we see on our platform from like a search perspective, yes, it's the highest at 95%. So only about 5% of people in Nigeria kind of own their house. So no, actually. So from a transaction standpoint, that's where we see 95%, 5%. I think from like a... um, Holding standpoint is a lot more. I think we can say a lot more people do have houses that they do stay but from like a transactional standpoint they're very different right you see more people trying to um, rent a house and buy a house and I think from the way we've seen that pattern in the last four years it's been about 95% like 5% transaction right so in terms of yes. the, the volume of activity that happens in, yeah, in, absolutely. in, in the property space so that leads me to the core question I wanted to start with is what led you to this what was the aha moment for you to get into building a platform doing? like Twilight okay um, well we didn't have any haha moment <laughs> but um, so we started doing this in 2011 yeah, if I can recall well for us it wasn't experiential it wasn't like uh, we faced a problem that we had to solve it it was more like we're looking at the space and looking at exactly what could we really do in this space who are the we so myself um, I have three other co-founders Apart from myself, we're all grads of OU. Had a background in engineering. Apart from me, we're all university. Exactly. One had a uh, background in um, law, while the other one had a background in um, estate management. The CTO was my classmate. So you studied doubly um, yes, electrical, yes. electrical, electrical electronics engineering. So yes. you were a uh, classmate, and you and your classmate and your friend and two other guys were just together are you in a club or were you flatmates or were you just uh, well, of friends that they were thinking about solving problems using well, technology we pretty much were like um roommates myself and Simon were like you know we've gone way back um Simon used to be my junior in, in secondary school we met in Ife. he happened to be my, my roommate as well I was on top of myself um so we we're there for you know five years we ran a couple of businesses together the field some succeeded on the campus on the campus yes um, what, what are those businesses Simon was one we ran a business where we'd sell like computer parts, right? Flash drives, um, CDs, etc. Those days, these businesses were really good businesses. They're like imagine businesses we had to buy um, a couple of things in Ikeja, um, take them out to school, sell them for profit. You know, then, you know, it was really um, interesting business. So we made some money, right? Well, for Dark Power, we tried to have a PlayStation business where people play games. You have a PlayStation in your room? No, no, room. So it was in lobby of the uh, oh, one of, of the hostels. Yes. So, uh, you know, it was fast moving, right? Guys want to play a game. So you have but a TV we, we, there. Yes, the... exactly. So, then, but later on, that would try to do something in laundry. To myself and two other of my friends who happened not to be my co-founders invested in this business. This was while we were doing our youth service. That's NYC. Oh, so as post-university, you yes. started doing some other businesses as well? Um, No, actually. I, I just invested in that post-business. So I so was you had more... some liquidity, you had some cash to put into it. So what I mean invested, I'm not using that word loosely. <laughs> so um, we invested, I think, about um, 200,000 for myself and total of my no, no, That's a my pretty sum yeah. of money for someone so who just graduated from the university to pull. So yeah, then, so NYC was paying us like 19.5. I had a really good job when I was in my NYC. So all the salary was pulled for like four months. I'm investing in um, this guy's business. Even the business went, um, you know, toast. 
after yeah. like you know three months but it was a very you know interesting phase for us to really understand someone's uh, business at that very early stage let's pause there's yes. a few things there so while you're at the university yes. you and a couple of your friends Suleiman right yes. and Wu um, and Dapo and you started a couple of businesses yes. so you spot some gaps in on the campus absolutely and yes, you say, right. okay oh people want to play PlayStation it's very hard for them to have it they don't own it yes. and they talk about it a lot so why don't we just get this lobby yes. pay somebody so for the PlayStation business we didn't actually floated we just had very long conversations trying to have the business oh you didn't yes. do that no we did not but do you that. were talking about yes. it so the ones that you did was okay um, we were, we're in lagos we can buy exactly computer stuff and we sell yeah, it at for referrals yes and people can call us and tell us what they want yes. and then we can buy it and they sell it exactly so we had like posters around like you know um different hostels on campus people call us to actually um pick up the items in which you're selling so it was pretty much so good. you and these friends of yours are entrepreneurial in your thinking yeah absolutely yes we were so you can see advantage and then you want to yes, go absolutely. for it and that led you to after the university yes. when one of you decided to do a laundry business yes spoke to you and say hey where was he doing it it was a it was like five kilometers um off campus there were other laundry businesses in school but I was trying to build like the best experience for you know um, laundry as a student and equally as a lecturer but you know a, a couple of missteps there but um the thought there was that you know he had to do this thing from ground and you know we saw that what he was doing was awesome and we felt that we didn't just put some more capital for him to kind of expand the business into more students perhaps other schools but that just didn't work out yeah and i think that's very interesting because the reason why i'm dwelling on this is a lot of good businesses that have happened in the last maybe 10 or 15 years yeah. in terms of tech some of them have roots in dormitory they call it dorm startups oh yeah started dorms <laughs> or yeah startups that started in garage yeah because there's something that university gives you opportunity to do experiment because you know if you fail the experiment in terms of entrepreneur you're not yeah you're not losing your house Abs- absolutely sorry yes. you, you just <laughs> and but what you gain from stepping out to do that is more than what you likely lose yeah absolutely because correct. at the end of the day you lose your money yes but you will gain tons of experience and sure. what i call entrepreneurial muscle because you have exercised it yes yes you've been able to go out there and pull your roll dice and do something with something and then you fail and then you learned so is that what happened to you uh yeah so really uh, you know myself i'd always had this you know entrepreneurial spirit to myself but um i think it was a function of how hard i wanted to you know explore i never thought for once that i would be running to let on this very grand level we wanted to do something always different from like what our parents were doing and you know, getting a job you know Slema for example was my running mate for ideas it was like they would be the guy to first throw my idea into the garbage and we did that for ourselves you know a couple of times we had a couple of you know ideas we wanted to do but it just happened to be that the guys that run Jobberman that's Okwe Aoyemi Lee Conlady and um, Ayo they happened to be um, grads of IFE we're on the same set so we pretty much saw what they were doing with jobs at that point in time like you were the same set as them oh yes and started jumping my wife from the university they started in, yes they started like that in the part four part five if i get that story correct yes and then it was growing yeah, yeah it was growing at the university yes we had stories of them growing um so that's what even drawed us more into like hey there's something probably happening on the internet right so we thought that which part of you know, the internet has only been touched then we look at e-commerce as well but it was looking a lot more complicated than we could do was so, this after the dry cleaning business oh yes passed? this was about the same time right so it was like during our nyc this is like 2011 so i think okay had done something in jobman 2009-10 thereabouts and we were you know we saw some very you know vain things for example you saw that he had two cars you know it was branded jobman and we saw a couple of bigger bosses you know having their ads i'm like these guys are doing great 
So like, if these guys can do it, we could do it, right? So we just thought, okay, now which business could we do, you know, at that level? We're thinking of real estate, you know. At first, we thought it could not work. We thought it was too early. Um, agents would never post their leases online, right? Like at that point in time, there was nobody doing that stuff. Like it was like, it was a very virgin land. Apart from um, a site called um, Tailfish then, not OLX, you know, they were like doing things on jobs, um, you know, things on dresses, things on like, you know, like the whole night for classified. So there were the guys that were just there, but we just felt that, you know, at that point in time, nobody would think of trying to get a house by going online. Then it was jobs because jobs are like more of a default, right? There was like a already conventional film of like people trying to get jobs online. So I think for jobs, it was a lot more easier for people to think of online, you know, as a second option to get a job than trying to go through papers or going trying on the streets. So for us, we, we just thought that we were trying to go too early, but we did a couple of researches, right? We did researches around like the UK market more predominantly, which is like um, Zoopla and um, Rightmove. And, and Zoopla was just doing that. At a point in time, yes. Started. Zoopla was like, you know, was early on. They bought a couple of businesses and we were like, oh man, this is like, they have very, you know, so Rightmove, for example, IPO'd in, um, I think, 2000 and uh, I think... I can't remember the money was again, but um, they had like really good numbers. Right? What, what IPO? Which company? Um, right, right move. Right move in the yes. UK. Yeah. Yes. So um, all their numbers were public. We saw how many agents they have. We saw how much revenue they're making. It you know it was deep. So we saw that okay now Nigeria is a really good market. Population was about maybe one fifty million people there about. We thought that if at this point there was nobody trying to do this, we could do it. Although while we're trying to, you know, still put our papers together, put our processes together, we saw um, a company called privateproperty.com.ng you know launch property privateproperty.com privateproperty.com yes. so like so oh. when you say you're putting your purpose so yes let's pause a bit and talk yes. about how you ideated this um, you saw a couple of guys doing well on the internet yes and you were entrepreneur before you would have just done businesses as well it's okay it's because I'm making money on the internet we should do it right yes and so which part of the internet has not been touched that we can do that we can work on and you decide to say okay it's going to be property and then you study yes. that and you see how big the market could be yes and what next to do dude when you say you're putting your papers together yep was it that you wanted to then register the company or you wanted to design a website or mock up your product okay so first off we were like rookies doing this thing especially like a business that was internet you know focused it was very nascent then right so there was no like approach to how do you start and um so what we did was um we had a couple of meetings to like hey what are we trying to do and we started um putting up papers together pretty much processes that could lead to how people would search on the website everything was all focused on trying to build a site um at that point in time we we're just myself and Sulaimon. then afterwards we brought in um, Shay, which was a CTO, which you thought, you know, could actually get this thing going. So, and we brought in that, but we had like the real estate angle to what we're trying to build. So, when you said the website, right? Uh, because I've had this experience before when I started my first business. I didn't yes. know the difference between the back end and the front end. <laughs> I just knew that some website does stuff. Yes. And did you have that same challenge or do you have some tech people in your team that understand that, okay, this website, we should have a form on the back end. Yes. We should be able to collect information and be able to display that in real time and other stuff. Did you have somebody yes, to we did. So architect like, your Yes, pro, exactly. Your so like I said, like we're pretty fortunate to have Shay join us very early on. And he's one of the founders. Yes, he is. So he was able to you know, understand like that concept of okay now this is what we're trying to build right um, even though you would explain to us like a billion times what we're trying to build even though we didn't understand exactly how come it took him that much time to build what we're trying to build uh, but because it was to you, you know, it's just like a website yeah, yeah you know <laughs> 
my dad to this doesn't understand exactly how come it takes like you know five seven developers to build what we're trying to build like it's like it's no insight <laughs> so yeah you know at that point in time even though i had like a tech background i had the same um you know concern to how easy it was to kind of like you know put some codes together and just have the site up it took us like six months there about to to have the first version of our site up and this is where a lot of product fail uh because if you don't have that tech capability within yes. your team you would have just uh outsourced it to somebody yes which and then is always a problem underestimated how long yes. it's going to take and overestimated the importance of your product versus what that person will do and then the person might actually request to get your job absolutely on the price and then it will take longer and then there'll be a lot of problem and it'll take like two years and it, yes. even then nothing will happen so again like i said i think we were pretty fortunate to have she early on to have that cto um, perspective into the business if you had gone another route um oftentimes you know you try to give a third party person to kind of build your sides. Um, there's, you know, like the financial loss is there because you're going back and forth on the iteration of the sides. You get billed and you need to put in mind that, you know, this business, for example, we started with about roughly... Um, Donations of like 20k per person per month. Um, for so how long were you donating that? Uh, so we had that on paper, you know, we had it on paper, but then we started donating that somewhere around, I think, February 2012. So we did that for about um, roughly um, five months. So most of you are not working full time on the business. Two of us were working full time on the business, while two others were having like day jobs and um, day jobs like NYC jobs. Um, so someone went to the UK for a while. So join us later on. So and, they, and everybody was contributing 2000. Yes. 20,000 20, yes. a month yes. to cover the cost of the people that are working full-time or to cover we, the basic costs? We were cost. just the ones running the business full-time. So there are things like hosting fees we had to pay or um, they're like operational money because we thought that we needed space. We thought. So we got a space. Um, but we didn't pay for the space because it was um, one of our co-founders that I gave us a space. Very small space in the kitchen, just a table. And we had to buy a generator. Then it was called our better pass my, in my neighbor. A very small one. I think about 15,000 around. And we fill it every day. We run through like meetings, like, you know, brainstorming meetings that even I don't understand what we're doing then, but <laughs> it was a couple of meetings, right? Just trying to like um, figure out exactly what we're trying to build. So uh, it was just like, you know, admin cost that we were, we were trying to build the money on. So we, we got to that place where you say you're putting your papers together and yeah. then somebody has launched something yes. similar. What happened? So... At, at that point, it was like, um, we had two thoughts. It was, okay, now this means that, yes, there's something here, uh, because they came big. This is a product that was already in South Africa, was doing well, and they saw that there was a need for them to launch in the Nigerian market. So we saw that, yes, I think these guys mean that there's, there's something here, right? On the other hand, we're like, these guys came big. Well, from our perspective, and we're thinking, will these guys win before we even try to do anything? You know, I think that just even drove us more to try to build what we had to build as fast as possible. Did you have one of those um, business plan or business expectation that says, we're going to be profitable in three years or two oh, years? Oh, my God. Okay. <laughs> okay. As much as we knew that it was a um, very early business, we still thought that it was going to be very easy for us to monetize and hit profitability in, uh, you know, I think six months. It just changed some numbers <laughs> on the spreadsheet. Yeah. Because you just keep having like 5% growth, you know, on a week on week, big basis, but it never happens that way in reality. Uh, even to now, we're still not profitable. So I'll say that anywhere. So, but that's because we're trying to, you know, really invest in like in, in key areas in which we're going to use to build this um, business for a very long um, time. Yeah. I'm going to ask you yeah. some questions about the numbers. I so in terms of that, we always thought that we were profitable, you know, early on, but it just, the difference between a, I will call a normal business and a startup is that, you know, you have to keep uh, investing in core areas because the idea of startups is you can always you know 
build and scale really fast. And when you mean scale, you you know, you know, it could be argued or interpreted in other ways, but it just means that you're trying to build at something really fast. And that takes a lot of capital to build. Yeah. yeah. So when you started then, you have these people that came in, a little bit validated the market for you, but yes. then they scared you. So what did you do next? Did you then accelerate to your launch or did you find out who, because there are a few things that could happen. You could say, okay, yeah, these people are listing on their website. We'll yeah. go to those people because yeah. they are easy conversion. Okay. Yeah. So basically when it came to, um, early competitors, right? We didn't, we had a very healthy, um, approach to, to this. It wasn't more of, um, Hey, we're scared and we have to go back to, um, doing the, what we're doing before, or do something else. It was more of like, Oh yeah, you know, we had this very competitive spirit, like, you know, even though we didn't have the hassle of capital, but we, we thought that we could always do things cheaper and more effective than the other person that kind of kept on, you know, going. And we had a lot more drive to get results in more efficient ways, you know, because of the time frame wasn't there. And that led us to trying to like, even having our, um, deck early on speaking to people um, the more people right now in the market trying to value what we're trying to do we're like young people we have a very great plan we have a better interface we have more agents more VCs you know, all, all those things were there for us to um, use um, we thought that we were very local because um, we thought that we understood the space more than anybody else did um, we still have that thought um, now uh, five years running you know and these guys were from South Africa these guys from other parts they would not really understand exactly how to like locally play what we're trying to play so you know we just thought that we had all the advantages apart from capital at that point in time and so we just followed that and we knew early on that it wasn't always about capital to build and to win um, we still think that now it takes a lot to win in the market like Nigeria for example and all that all together just, just kept us going so what was the business model when you started so we started by trying to be a classified market where agents who pay a very small fee to be on the platform even though when we ran on I think people that rent that let yes, houses a, like pretty much agents so they have an inventory yes. of houses that they are they letting have, out to people have, yeah exactly was it primarily rent when you started or was it so you we started with everything. a brand name called Estate Mode, right? Estate. Estate Mode. Estate Mode. Dot com. Um, so it was pretty much like, you know, everything, like the own iron. So the idea was that, uh, you know, we would tell agents to pay us a fee a month just to be on the platform. For all that period, we were, we were running free because it was agents were not going to pay us any money because it was like a very new idea. We had to even beg them to pull their business on our platform. Because they were used to newspaper and all the they rest. They used to... Even not newspapers for like the super big agents, for like the normal agents was just uh, more of like word of mouth. And it was more of like them putting like a very small board in front of their shops. Right. And they had like two bedroom flats to rent. Or right. three flats to rent. So you convincing those people to give you the supply. Then yes. you have to then go and get the demand. Absolutely, How yes. are you driving the demand at the early stage? That's a very great question. <laughs> so at that point in time, we basically were using two hacks. We did something. I wouldn't say it yet. <laughs> that... Right. Um, because it's a hack, it's a free hack, I can't get out for free. <laughs> so we have this um, way where we're able to get a lot of emails from our friends and family, a lot more emails from other sources. And we use that to kind of bootstrap like um, the demand point of view, coupled the fact that we're trying to equally inch on the Google search, which is like, it was a very tiny volume that we're, you know, way back compared to what we have right now. So people that will search for those keywords, um, two million for rent in a Kajara, Lekki Axis would always find us there as uh, a go-to. And we equally used um, um, emails as well to Strap to quite a couple of um, people that thought that we had what we had. Yeah, so that's why you're able to get the Yes, initial. so that's how we got the initial Did demand without mm -hmm. having to spend so much money on marketing. Were you hyper-local when you started? Were you, so okay, we're going to focus on Lagos or even a Kedger so that we can drive demand there and then get the agent to be excited because they're getting a lot of demand rather than spreading too thin and the agent don't get anything and they just... Okay, so truth be told, like we've transformed quite a while like over the last four years, but we set up being um, 
all across Nigeria from the word go. Even though in, you know, the market always dictates exactly what's going to happen. So we had a bulk of our listings, over, you know, 99% of those listings in, in Lagos and the agents were all in Lagos. So we didn't have any, you know, idea to like, you know, let's kind of focus on Lagos. We just launched out to the entire market and we saw exactly how the market reacted to the platform that we built. And then you started concentrating on the ones that you're getting the best. Not entirely. Um, so that happened for a very short while. We did that for like six months, thereabouts, from like an active platform down to February, you know, pretty much. Uh, so we moved to a um, platform like Foxens in UK, where, um, which we got the name to let, which was going to be like a new phenomenon for people. So that was a service focused for just strictly Lagosians. You're trying to rent a house, right? Let's try and be more, the more efficient agents, uh, because we realized that agents were very inefficient around like timing or trying to negotiate around with what you tried, what you had. And just like paperwork was, you know, just lengthy. So let's just kind of keep everything simple. We had like very sophisticated agents. That was the idea of us to build. Oh, so it moved yeah. from uh, so it a moved directory. From, it moved from a classified business to a commissions model. Right. right. So we just pretty much just um, go around meeting landlords, meeting agents as well, trying to get the leases on our website. And you call us, we had a call center, a very big call center. You call, we map it to a couple of our agents, which were hired by us. And they so take you, you became online agent. Yes, we, we became online agents. More like foxes in the UK. Um, pretty much like Foxes. You know Foxes in the UK? Yeah. The guys with the mini coopers? They're quite like big in London. Yeah, yes. they're quite big in London more than... Because yes. I, I don't live in London, so oh, they're sure. quite big in London. Okay. Um, but they're traditional agents. Exactly. And they started using technology to Absolute. optimize. Yes. Well, you started... Because initially, you had the idea of Zoopla. Correct. As an operator. Zoopla yes. aggregates everything. It's a yeah. classified place where agents can list their... Uh, um, inventory. Correct. You started that way and you realized yes. that the market is not going to react to you well. So that. like the reason why we started that was because of um, strictly viability as a business. So we felt that the commission model was uh, it was hard to monetize because it was hard for us to get the demand that it needed at that point in time to create value for them. For the, for the agents. For the agents. So agents needed to see a lot of value from us. For them to pay monthly, for them to pay monthly, right? So, and that was like pretty hard because we didn't have a lot of, um, you know, demand or a lot of business on site. So we're like, okay, now for the ones that we have, let's try and monetize on that traffic. So we decided to take our traffic, make it a call center. Once you got a listing, you saw our numbers, you called us, and we try and arrange an inspection, and we try to give you our sophisticated agent, which would um try to get you a place. Are these agents faster. employed by you or the normal agents that they you put in your network? Us. They were like BSS rats that would employ you too. What is the reaction of the agent? to you because basically you're competing against Correct. them. Yeah. So at, what was at, that? At what that, was the at reaction? At that point in time we're small. Um, we're not that big to make them get scared but a couple of them understood exactly where we're trying to get to which is going to be for us to disrupt them and um, but for the, the while in which we ran that model it was um, strictly just for viability reasons because um, for you to run the, the classified model you need a lot of capital to, to push that. So we felt that we could run very lean with this model and still at the same point in time still drive traction. So, and this model gave us that very early traction. So let moved so fast in about one year that it moved, I mean, last, you know, three months. Just because we were just focused on rental, we got listings by ourselves, we had like, you know, cameras, we were very sharp listings and agents just giving us like very sharp pictures. This is like 2013. So people started debating the platform, okay, now this is a platform called Select, just go there, they have listings for you. So from that, word of mouth started going out, it's Select, you know, and we just kept on getting a lot more emails and people started, you know, growing from there. For that phase, it was really awesome because we were able to run lean because we were generating a lot of income. Because you are practically because, an agent. Exactly, yeah. So we use that, you know, as more like a launch part for what we are right now to get to where we're trying to get to. So um, I know that Jumia House, or they used to call it 
Lamudi. Yes. They were running subscription model. Yes, they were. Because and then the argument that it, when I was integrating this was that uh, the agents are not going to give you commission because the transaction takes place outside the platform and it's very hard for you. Correct. Yes. To get that value because then they, they've got the money already. Yeah. But with you, you said you're going to have a closed system. Yes. We are the agents. Yes. We are just online. Absolutely. And we don't need an agent to work with us. Yes. So you took a different approach. Approach. Yes. And has that worked out for you in terms of how? So like I said, right, um, we've been very transformative with our business. And I think we've been always been realistic about, you know, what we can actually get. And I think we're always trying to like be proactive with the way we kind of build. At every um, time frame, there's a thought around what we do and how we do it. So at that point in time, um, we let, let's run lane and let's try and build, right? And still have that platform, right? Um, we knew that, you know, by going this route, we would lose out on the sales market. It was rental, you know, a lot of agents who think that, oh, you want to disrupt them. Some are like, hey, talk about you. But we thought that at that point in time, people just wanted to just get listings, just call. So they didn't really care much about exactly how the operational um, stuff was done. So we did that for a while. And, you know, we started hitting bricks when we were trying to scale that model. Right. right. Yes. So, um, you know, you want to scale. You want to be do 10x, you know, under a very short time space um, because that's when you're trying to really solve a big problem. You know, we're just in Lagos and we're just in a couple of places in Lagos. Um, like the Lekki area, Ikejak, Bagadar, Suleri, Yabar. Uh, we're not just like just in every area because it was kind of like the economics of our agents were not right around like certain areas from like a commission standpoint so um you know and that's lagos how much more the other 35 states that we had so it was hard for us to kind of like scale so um at that point in time we started asking ourselves the right questions like how do we kind of scale this business so you know we moved to another platform um, where we didn't have to hire our agents but we had to just use like the agents that already existed in the platform okay so all that tech we built for our agents, we were able to kind of like push that tech to the current agents that were there and kind of like skill. So, um, but with that is what you said already, which is like trust factor, right? So it was because we did not control the money. It was literally hard for us. We had problems around like, you know, detection of deals, commission collection. There were just really uh, hard areas for us to kind of like figure out. But, you know, we had other ways in which we're trying to figure out, but at scale was a problem. So if you're doing like, you know, 100 transactions a day, when, when you want to add in a thousand, what happens? Like what? What's, what's that loss? So, you know, we started thinking of, you know, how can we make this, you know, and at the same time, we were very sensitive to what users would think about our platform. So we just didn't want to serve just the Lagos area, even though we wanted to run profitable or run lean or, you know, or still stay in business. So we wanted to serve everybody, you know, we wanted to serve the young man down there in Cano or the guy in Cardinal. He wants to find something around him to buy or to rent. So we started thinking, you know, big picture type stuff. Um, how do we get these lists across? And still at the same time, still stay very lean. So we had to go back to the model in which we started off early on, which is like the classifieds model. Interesting. Yes. which we, So you went full circle because you because exactly. really need to scale. Yes. So, but this time around, we're doing the capital, so it's different. So, um, we were able to, you know, when you're doing things with capital, you can do more experiments around certain things. So we had to raise some capital in 2016 from, um, some Singaporean um, investors. So before we, then, yeah. you raised money from someone else. Oh, yes. So 2013, when we were to let, we raised money from Spark. Spark is an incubator that was launched in 2013, which incubated to let drinks to NG, hotels to NG, and a couple of other um, businesses. So, um, and that was run by, uh, Jason and that was um, run by Jason and Bastian, yes. Um, so you came years. into the incubator program and they so put we're, some money. We were the first batch of um, the people, they okay. They had patches, so yes, it was a cohort, that, yes. And how much did you raise? So then we raised into uh rounds, the first one was. $50,000, but the other one was about um, roughly another one, 
I think $200,000 thereabouts, approximately. Everything. So everything from Spark was about $200,000. So initially they gave you $50,000 and office space and support. Yes. But not a program. You're not going through a program. Oh, so Spark was a little bit different than the general incubator. It was more of like a hands-off approach, right? It wasn't more of like a regular incubator. So we had all the control that, you know, we should have and be able to like, you know, on our own think of like ways in which you're going to build up different businesses. But the environment was really rich because we had like, you know, other entrepreneurs there. So we'd exchange um, ideas on what's working in yours, what's not working in mine. So it was really good. So we didn't have to waste um, so much capital trying to do something that didn't work for him or work for that. It was a very um, rich knowledge house, which we use for a very valuable one year and a half there. And how quickly did you then raise the next capital from them? Is, was it... Uh... No, it was quick. So I think they were just trying to see the kind of entrepreneurs that we were. I think. I know. <laughs> because um, sometimes, some you know, you could make mistakes in investment choices. So, um, but they saw that we were, we were just hungry guys. <laughs> we were just hungry guys. We were just anything we build. Because at that point in time, we we're trying to raise um, a lot less capital from like Nigerian investors. We didn't... Then at, the, at that point in time, I think a dollar was... Uh, I think a dollar to an hour was about one about. So that was about, about 8 million about. So we had to try to raise about, I think, about 4 or 5 million about from investors. So when we got 50,000, I was like, wow, man, we're going to destroy this. We're going to, you know. And you thought that would be your last check? What do you think was going to be our last? But we thought that was sufficient for us to build whatever we were going to build like, okay. early on. Um, and does that enable every member of the founding team to then work on this full time? Oh, oh yes. So even before that, we all working full time. Uh, before them, we all working full time. We knew and that for us to contributing build. twenty thousand naira every month. Yeah, and at some point that money dried up. We couldn't keep up after like you know four months. It was so. How are you continue the business? Different things that I can't say on air right now. <laughs> different, different ways. There are different strategies we use. You know, at times in which we just try like you know cut costs. Like rather than take a boss, you track. You know, rather than you pay for a boss, you be like you just take a face and like oh I forgot my money. There, there are all sort of things you kind of use just to get to the office. Um, you borrow some money just to like just to stay in there. At some point we had a staff that before we didn't even need to hire. You know, I would struggle to pay. So at some, at some point, you know, some just to show that we had somebody. Oh yes, we had a first hire. Let's let's hire someone. You know, we didn't need a person. So you know, um, but this is a very interesting period. Uh, How many staff do we got now in terms of your team size? No, I think like about seventy plus people. So you raised two hundred. So we raised fifty. After. About we raised two fifty thousand early on. We raised um, one point two million from Frontier. So before uh, this investor, the last I'm going to talk about your last investment. Yeah. Before they came into you, only external investor you had was Spark. Spark. Yeah. Okay. And you, you were trying to raise more money but you, you couldn't Oh we tried to raise money for a while. To raise money. So um yes, which again, which from an investment standpoint, right? People are always kind of worry about trying to invest around huge capital operations, right? When everything around the operation is like is human capital driven, right? This um if you got what I mean so we were in a model where you know we had to hire people and everything around monetizing was around people. Like people had to go collect commissions. So and if you want to try and scale do things in very big bounds like it's hard for you to do that because there's a lot more that would go into you trying to skill when a lot of people will be involved in delivers of and the that I suppose yes. is the biggest risk in business which is yes. people yes yes so but now from this people talk it wasn't really about the quality it was more of about um, the quantity of people that you that just um, had to be there just for you to monetize it was a very large force and for you to grow big you had to employ a lot more people to be more areas to like you know serve inspection so that was the thinking then before yes. everybody now understood that internet business does not necessarily have to just be linked 20 Correct. people building stuff so Correct. Uber was not your traditional yes, internet business Uber yeah. depends on a lot of people being signed up uh, on yeah, the platform yes but those people were not employed yes okay so, so you were employing people directly exactly okay yes. 
Right, but having said that, at, at, at the same at the same point as well, um, it could be when people are tied to the revenue, which is like the key thing, right, of your livelihood. It's always better when you know money is generated or capital is generated when you know people are not there. It's just like automated. When it's automated, is but when there has to be the human capital there trying to do things, it becomes a problem, right? It's like it's like a red flag for an investor. Yeah. So for a while, we're trying to raise money on that model because it was hard. It was hard for investors to really get locked in on that model, especially when it was like you know some African. African um, investors, you know, one, two years experience in running the business, straight out of school. Um, you know, it, it was pretty tough, right? So we had to um, do uh, a couple of, you know, transformation first to get where we got it. So did you at some point run out of the initial capital that you got from um, Oh, yeah, 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 we did, we did. The 50K ran out so fast. The 200K ran out, you know, that was used a lot more slowly than the first one was. Uh, but at some point, we did run out. We were running it very, you know, at some point, we were profitable. We ran a very lean, you know, operation. So right. So then it was after then that you got it. We got the one capital. million. Yes. So this new capital was one investor or two? It was just one investor. One investor. Oh, yes, just one. Came investor. in and said, "We're going to write the old check." Come again. One investor came in and said, oh, yes. "We're going to write the yes. old check." Because That's pretty unique. So they did because one, they are quite uh, bullish on the opportunity. A couple of reasons. Yeah. So like they did that because one, they um they saw the potential in the people running the business. So these were not just regular investors. They were investors that had an understanding of exactly how classifieds, you know, ran on a global perspective. So they had an idea of exactly what you kind of needed from a capital standpoint to kind of build the business. And they knew that, you know, this opportunity was there for them to take it. So why allow somebody else to come and take from that pipe when they could take everything for themselves? How did you get to meet them? So Frontier was an email. Um, they sent an you email. email. Yes, it was an email. We didn't reach out to Frontier. They did reach out to us. Um, but before then, reach out to like 50 investors. So <laughs> like we didn't even look at that. Them, right so but they were looking at you know what we're trying to build so it was easy for us yeah and then it came to meet you and yes, like what I'm saying and then yes so writing news recently that like you bought um, Junior House, house. Yes. Whoa. Tell me about that. So right now, as you're aware, I think we're moving to a new platform called Property Pro. Um, we're doing that because of a couple of reasons. One, for a very long time, we ran to let and we were just rental sites. So from the name as well, people will think that you're just a, a rental site. And so we're moving to a much more bigger business and bigger opportunity um, from a Pan-African perspective, from a national perspective. And we thought that there was a need for us to capture the entire real estate, you know, value chain. And that had to do with sales, a very big part of sales. And we knew that a lot of like agent, big agents, you know, would want to do a sell because that's like the biggest part of their businesses. So we had you, to like... You don't have agents. You don't, yes. you, you don't have them in house anymore. You're yes. working with agents now. We are for a very, you know, healthy agent ecosystem. We're not trying to just do it anymore. So our junior house, you know, for the last four years, I built a very good portfolio of like sales. So we were looking for... Sales, you mean selling the house? Selling, yes. So I, I use the word rental and sell. So okay. sales mean... Uh, I mean, you're trying to buy a house, you're looking for a platform to use. To use. So Jimmy House, formerly called Lamudi, had built this, you know, very good platform that we thought that, you know, was going to be a very good addition to what we're trying to do to serve the greater community of our users, both ways, agents and equally users trying to consume the platform. So that was pretty much like the concept of us actually purchasing the assets for Jimmy House. How did you know they were trying to sell? Well, that was on a very high level. Uh, but sometimes if you're very keen to the space, you'd always know certain movements about how 
happen and you try and jump into these opportunities. So this transaction was done majorly from um, our current investors, Frontier Digital Ventures. They're very active globally. So they had like very private information to this um, transaction. I think we're very um, quick on trying to jump on it. They spoke to you and say, hey, would you be interested in buying oh, this yes. if we can put it together? Yes. So was that sale out of the money that you raised or was that sale done separately? So um, it was done separately. So it wasn't out of your... Because I'm trying to understand how much did you buy Jumia house for? Oh, well... <laughs> you know, I would never say that. <laughs> For um, so many reasons, we are keeping that sale transaction private. Even though, you know, um, Frontier, for example, is a public listed company in Australia. Some numbers are out there. You can use to gauge exactly how much it was bought for. But, you know, we never give a right um, number to exactly So let me just get the picture here. So was it all cash? Again, um, we don't want to put out the exact um, details of exactly how that transaction went through. But I will tell you that it was... Um, Cash was involved. Um, cash was involved um, and a couple of other things. Okay, so let me just say, okay, assume that a lot of cash was involved. So you raised 1.2 from your investor from Chase yes. Capital and then they said the sales is good, you should buy for strategic reasons, then they put yes. up more money. It means that they've invested more than 1.2 million. Um, yes. Because they're going to get some equity again from this new stuff that is coming to you. If correct. you're not, okay. So In a way, correct. So that means you diluted more. Any, but you, you no, raised, actually, no, we're not diluted. You're not diluted more. Yes. So, if you keep pressing, you understand the dynamics. <laughs> um, so they created a new class of shares for this new investment because it's look at it like okay they put up let's say okay for argument's sake they bought Jumia house for one million okay so that that one million that cost them and everything is now added to your own shares it's treated like an investment uh, so, so well there was no dilution from a founder standpoint um, there was not um, but I will tell you that part of the um, transaction was was cash based uh, a bulk of it was cash based and it was a win-win for both parties right win-win for ourselves win-win for Jumia house as well so did you get all their existing assets and oh, existing yes, people that were working with them. So right now, so it was pretty much like um, it was more of assets than human capital. You know, we're still in the very fine details of trying to see if we're going to get a couple of capital from the workforce or not. So there are people still working on a junior house now? Right now, no. Okay, not. you let all of them go. You just yes. got all the assets and everything. Yes. So I think the key question is how has that changed your business? Okay. So for us, it's huge, right? So, um, because one, Jimmy is a global brand name. Patrick Nigeria has built a very reputable business um, to an extent and you know that for us is a lot of validation of exactly what we're trying to build um, so like I said these were part of the things that we put into consideration for this purchase and we were just trying to look at providing a very deep um, service for Nigerians trying to enjoy the real estate service so um, we have a couple of things lined up for 2018 for example I think we'll get to see them as we roll them out in the next couple of quarters and uh, our vision is pretty simple Think of trying to do anything related online. Think of us as a brand property pro. We're trying to rent, buy, or sell. Think of one platform called Property Pro. So we just do everything for you as simple as possible. So that, that like increases your chances of being able to do that effectively yes, because we don't have more. Because yes, assets. we have more inventory. We've got more hassle options for people. It's just about um, inventory when it comes to. So is it safe to assume that you are number one in the in the market in terms of market um, share? Okay, yes. Yeah. So, uh, well, I try not to say we're number one <laughs> because it's still a very long race. You know, from a metric standpoint, yes, with this consolidation, we're going to be number one um, by miles. From an inventory standpoint, visit um, agents, ask number one. What's your revenue like? It's pretty decent. What is decent? 
decent means decent <laughs> means I actually cannot say my revenue is actually on it right now. Okay, so can you give? But our revenues are growing about uh, forty times year on year. Uh, tell you that for a fact. Forty times or forty percent? Um, forty times. So two thousand sixteen, you are forty times what you made. Yes, that's a forty percent. I'm sorry, year on year growth. Forty percent. Yes. Okay, yeah, because forty times that means you're ballistic. Not you are 40%. really on fire. I'm sorry. So nobody can touch you if you're forty <laughs> times. Nobody. You shouldn't be. A billion dollar business. No. Uh, that's exponential growth on steroids. Ho- right. Hopefully we get there soon. No, that that's great. So uh, I really like the way you started as a friend and stuff. But I really want to delve into the dynamics of your founders. So the founders, is, the guys that started are still the same. The four of you, you're still the same people still as founders. Yes. I'm the CEO. Slamon is the CBO. Uh, or CBO. Business officer. What is that? Um, so anything that has to do with like business development, product development, actually, you know, it's done by Slamon. Because doubles on as a CF as well. While Dagwa runs anything operation, you know, um, while she's our CTO. And four of you have been friends for a long time. So the yeah, dynamics has been 2003, great. like way back. Right. That, that's quite good. So how did you decide who's going to be the CEO, who's going to be the CBO and the rest? How do, I, I really, I can't remember exactly how I became CEO. <laughs> but, um, I, you know, um, at that point in time, I, I, I was like, out of um, the three other guys, I had held um, positions that they felt from their perspective put me in that position to actually lead them. While I was in school, I, I had a couple of positions which I led and, you know, they were really good moments and they felt that, hey, to lead this team, I think if you guys are right guy to lead the team. I'm a very tricky person because I can be very, you know, funny. <laughs> and, you know, they're like, oh yeah, you know, I think the guy can actually do the job. He has a stability when it comes to like um, relationship, being diplomatic, having to see, you know, very far, knowing exactly when to strike, you know, when this is the business opportunity, you know, exactly when the strike, you know, there's a friendship opportunity here. How to put a balance was actually exactly why they felt that, you know, I was the, the right person to the job. That's quite good. So let's spend the last few minutes to talk about the future. Yes. How do you see this market, especially in regards to transaction? We can take it from the macro level, transaction online. Yeah things that are not naturally uh, done online, transaction online, and then your whole specific market. What are the key things that will change, that will significantly and fundamentally change this market, both in terms of expanding it or killing some things that people are doing now? Okay, well, um, I think from my own perspective, I think just generally just like internet businesses, I think deeply that the economy is going to play a very huge and private role um, in the way people just consume um, internet businesses. I think there's an economic dysfunctionality, you know, right now. Investors, for example, are always very, they think that when we have that population of like, what, 80 million people? Internet users about 80, 90 million. So you guys should be doing some really decent numbers. But in reality, that's not reflective of exactly what happens like really online. So it feels like a really large opportunity for like, you know, businesses, but that's what happens. And the ways in which the NCC actually pick up the data for like internet users, right? They're like, you know, featured phones, smartphones and all that. I think from an economic standpoint, I've when the government can do certain things, for example, uh, more investment in education as a whole, uh, more investment in infrastructure, good roads, um, power, more importantly, I think that's going to really have a very huge impact on our businesses, to be honest. And be e-commerce, being classified, to be like, you know, ed tech, people from fintech. Fintech could, you know, apply certain dysfunctionalities in certain areas. But I think for other businesses, I think that's going to play a very huge role. I like the way um, smartphones are breaking barriers in this country. To be honest, that's really helped our business. For example, we are like about 70% mobile that we see. Before then, it was not that. Like, it was almost non-existent. So that has really helped to shape, you know, the opportunities for our business. And I like the way it's growing. Smartphones are getting cheaper. If you the fact that we had a couple of effects fluctuations early last year, uh, smartphones were really cheap to get. 
And that's going to really impact in all, you know, businesses because you can always like leapfrog certain things that you have to do. So that's why guys in fintech, for example, can see a very you know, huge boom to what they're doing. From that perspective, uh, anything mobile driven can be very explosive. So I think if um, economically we keep going, you know, better to what people assume us to be as an emerging market. And in terms of the spending power, yes, access to exactly, te- you know, technology, everything education, is going, is going to, quality is going, of life. It's going to have a very exponential effect to how these businesses actually are being built. How do you see the future in terms of, I think you mentioned that a lot about uh, internet is going to change things, but how do you see, uh, that's one way, it's okay, economy is going to help people to spend more and then help businesses, but how do you see in the other way around where technology, what impact they have on the way of life and what are the key trends that will actually change that? Okay, so I'll speak for Nigeria, for example, right? Uh, so I think tech in many ways would change um, Nigeria. It already has change Nigeria from a educational standpoint. People are more informed these days than they used to be four or five years ago. From a political standpoint, for example, information is so fast. You can get exposed so fast. So you can't get away to certain things, you know, which by default is going to be reactionary developments, you know. So I think that's good. And as well, I think the way in which we go about setting operations, for example. So let's, for example, it's a good example, right? Um, you wanted to get a house, you had to drive around a couple of areas, speak to a couple of agents, waste that more time. Um, where you could do a lot more constructive things with your time, you know, to let just on your smartphone, on your laptop, pull up and see exactly what's available in your area. That's going to save you a lot of time. So I think um, all these businesses combined together would move a much more productive workforce, a much more productive environment for people. And create efficiency yes. where no where, one before. So you, you kind of like, you know, waste all the time. You know, you can actually translate down to like, you know, making people's lives better from, you know, if you look at what they're doing in farming, for example, you know, getting seeds to farm more efficiently, um, using the right seeds, spending less money on, you know, money and all that kind of stuff. So tech is going to do a lot of things for countries or markets like ours, right? And I think we're very appreciative of that. But I think we can actually do a lot more, uh, like I said earlier, if the economy has well, we kind of like, you know, just layer that resource and that capital to make that, you know, Nigeria is, is huge and awesome, right? We have the human capital and it's there. For example, uh, we're just talking about that in my office where they were saying in the US, for example, Nigerians are the most educated force when it comes to just immigrants. So that, that, that says a lot. So when you keep having a lot of people leave your country and trying to build another country, that's a problem, right? You're having like a very huge break rate. So you want to make sure you're keeping, you know, as much as you can keep in this country trying to build and trying to, to innovate uh, on things that we can do. So once, yeah. you know, the government start, you know, putting all these things um, together, there's going to be a very great and massive in, in, the, the, in, in the country. So I'm a pro-Nigerian guy. Um, even though I have one leg outside, like, you know. What do you mean one leg outside? <laughs> I have, like, just in case. <laughs> you have a leg outside? You I'm have kidding. a passport somewhere? No, I don't. You know, that's just a joke part of it. Right? <laughs> I don't, actually. But so, you're, you're I'm heavily very, invested in this Oh, yes, country. I am. I'm, I'm very optimistic of exactly where Nigeria can get to in the next, you know, five, seven years. I think that with the right leadership, I think we're going to get there. Even if we don't have the right leadership, I think um, there's the part the um, entrepreneurs would play in trying to get us there faster than we wouldn't have gotten if the government failed us. Yeah. So I'm very optimistic about them. It's quite good. In Nigeria. We're going to end this podcast by me giving you some fire and question, just okay. statement, and I just need your quick answer yeah. to them. Ready? Sure. What is your biggest business pain point? I would say um, human capital. What do you mean by that? Human capital from the point of view of like how much capital we have to give out. <laughs> because I think... As um, in money you have to pay yes, people? Yes, because I think Nigeria... Not is a, the recruitment of the best talent? Nigeria is a place where 
the best people are sucked up by the people that have most cap. We don't have a lot of good default people that can just pick you up and I want you to start to take some good roles. Um, you know, you have to train them for a while and, you know, you need a lot of capital to get that done. For small businesses, it's a lot harder. I believe in other, you know, market, it's a lot more easier because I think they have better eyes, right? But you coming from a very um, little educational um, process. So I think for small businesses in general, and I think we've had this conversation around other entrepreneurs, capital can be a problem if you're small in this country. If you're bigger with more capital, yes, you know, you could get a lot of things done first. So hire more people, poach people um, that are really good. Don't waste time. Just poach them and just get what you have to do. Human capital for me is a problem. Yeah. What is your number one growth metric? What do you measure to indicate whether your business is growing? So there's something we call customer life and value in our business. So I think that's like the most important metric for us on a very granular level that we used to know exactly how well we're doing. Does the customer pay you when they rent a place? Um, no, they don't pay us when they rent so a place. So you're just agent to facilitate yeah, the so deal? It, it moves exactly around the agents. How would Fiber disrupt your business? So and Fiber is a platform that enables yes, people to I, rent yeah. month by month. Sure, yes. Yeah. So um, Fiber is a business that requires a lot of thing capital and a lot of like education right so around that so and it's a business that would deal a lot with places that they have a lot of supply so um in areas like in the lucky area is going to work well should work well and equally as well because um a lot of apartments are overpriced and i think the best way to kind of like monetize them now is to make them monthly rental versions in other areas where you have a lot more demand which is ak mr lagos a lot of demand is there it's hard to kind of structure kind of deals because there's already a culture of people paying for their rent from yearly perspective and everybody's trying to pay that landlord to get a house now so it's like fastest fingers right so, so there are more yes demand than so, supply ex- exactly as a country we have it i think 22 million housing deficit this is huge for a city like lagos for example about 20 million people plus we don't have enough houses right so it's just when you see houses not taken is a function of pricing so it's you see that beyond you, what exactly it be. so you see that a lot on the island like pretty much just the lucky area right so it doesn't get down to ajar but the lucky area ikoi more importantly that's where you'd see you know a platform like fiber would thrive or any business trying to do something from a monthly perspective so i could bring another capital down to like you know in piecemeal where i could think i could afford it you're not trying to do something similar to fiber let's see how it goes okay let's see how it goes uh, time will tell yeah, yeah. So which book are you reading at the moment? Good question. So right now I'm reading two books. Um, <laughs> I'm about to get married. Wait, so congratulations. I'm reading, I'm reading a book on marriage right now. That's so good. that's not for this. The other book which I'm reading right now is a book by Peter Tell, which is Zero to One. Um, I tried to read it last year, but I couldn't finish. So I'm trying to finish the book this month. Right? So but it's a very interesting book. Yeah, um, I think I would recommend that for almost all entrepreneurs trying yeah, to build something, you know, big. Yeah, it's quite good. Yes. good. Which business is getting you excited at the moment apart from your? own business i think i like paystock i like paystock and i like flutterweb as well um those two businesses are very you know unique business and i think there's a lot of opportunities that could, that could happen from those two businesses yeah great so fikayo yeah. it's been cool having you on this podcast thank, thank you for you. coming How i appreciate that as well i did i did i did that's great thank you so much thank you this series is in partnership with the british council in nigeria the british council is the uk's international organization for cultural relations and educational opportunities all opinions expressed by me and the podcast guests are solely ours and does not reflect the opinion or policies of the British Council. For more information about the British Council, go to britishcouncil.org.ng.
One of the things we do at Starter is growth consulting. We work with select number of growth stage startups and established companies to grow and retain their customers. We do growth. We're not a digital marketing agency. Instead, we help our clients figure out their customer acquisition and retention by focusing on three major things. We help them build a consistent narrative and community around their core offers. Second, we help them build a scalable, repeatable, and cost-effective growth systems and strategies. And lastly, most importantly, we help them build an in-house team that we execute the strategies for them. We've worked with and still working with companies like Flutterwave, Cranium One, DIY Law, Omar Gardens, JEE Client Services, Amara Suit, and many others. We're a small team of startup entrepreneurs, investors, product designers, and growth marketers with experiences of building and scaling our own products and companies. To work with you, we'll have to determine if there's a fit and if we can significantly make a difference to your growth trajectory within a short time. If your business is currently making money, at least $10,000 per month, and you want to scale to the next level, let's have a chat. Go to wedogrowth.co and book a free strategy session with us. That is w-e-d-o-g-r-o-w-t-h-dot-c-o, wedogrowth.co and book a free strategy session with us today. Do you have an offer, a product, service, or message that would be ideal for entrepreneurs, investors, or corporate executives across Africa? Building the Future podcast can help you. This podcast has been sponsored by partners who want to reach super targeted audience of investors, entrepreneurs, and people who are in the process of starting their own business. If you or your company is interested in reaching those audience through this podcast, we would like to chat with you. We have sponsorship slots from three episodes up to one year. Send me an email via hello at the starter.com. That is H E L L O at T H E S T A R T A dot com. And we can take this further. You've been listening to Building the Future podcast by Dalton. These are the interviews with entrepreneurs that are playing a key part in shaping the African future. And you'll be able to hear all their stories. For more, sign up for the weekly newsletter at thestarter.com. Our revolution will be televised. Hey everyone, thanks so much for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed the show. Before you go, I have a favor to ask you, and it will take 30 seconds of your time or less. It will mean a lot to me. If you like this podcast, you can easily let me know by going into iTunes, Teacher, SoundCloud, or wherever you download podcasts and subscribe. You can also go to our website, thestarter.com. That is T H E S T A R T A.com and sign up for our newsletter. It will be a huge favor to me and it's really simple and easy. If you subscribe now, it will help us a lot. Thanks.